Well, once again, welcome to our uh, study through the Psalms on Wednesday nights, and I hope this has been an encouraging time for you. Uh, invite you, uh, encourage you to invite your friends to join you online for this uh, time of study, or maybe come back later in the week. If you miss it on Wednesday night, come back later in the week. Go to our First Norfolk uh, website, and you can find uh, the Wednesday night uh, sermon series or uh, studies through the Psalm. Uh, go back and, and invite people to join you and talk through what you learn uh, through the Psalms. It, it's a great time for us to um, dig into some inspiring and encouraging words from God. Tonight, we're going to come to the end of the second book of the Psalter. Uh, the Psalms, and you see 150 chapters, but the Psalms are divided into five different books. Uh, Psalm 72 is the very end of the second book, and uh, next week we'll start with Psalm 73, and when we hit Psalm 73, the tone and even the tenor of the Psalms changes a little bit, but we'll get to that next week. Uh, Psalm 72, we're going to be looking at uh, this coronation song. This is a song that uh, the children of Israel would sing uh, when a new king ascended to the throne. Uh, it was, uh, it's titled, and you don't hear me talk much about the titles in the Psalms, but this is one of only two Psalms that are titled for Solomon. And uh, so it's, it's a little bit different, but it's a king song. It's a royal psalm, and that becomes very apparent. Uh, but instead of looking at an earthly king, we're going to set our focus on the eternal king, the, the great fulfillment of Psalm 72. You see, the fulfillment of Psalm 72 was not uh, David or Solomon or Jeroboam or uh, uh, any of the, uh, those other cat daddies. The, the fulfillment of Psalm 72 is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Uh, in uh, U.S. News and World Report article a couple of decades ago almost, there was an article that reported how scientists were trying to help people who are afraid of flying afraid of spiders, and afraid of speaking in public. Uh, they were trying to help them overcome their fears. So what they did is they put a virtual reality headpiece on their head and make them watch various images that will help them deal with their fears. And then after six months of this virtual reality, uh, they suggested that the fears would be allayed. Uh, two decades later, we know that that didn't work. It just didn't work. Uh, Tonight, I want us to think about something better than a virtual headpiece. Uh, it is the reality of Jesus Christ, the King. And where Jesus reigns, there will be wholeness of life, a shattering of fear, an exaltation of righteousness. Where Jesus reigns as supreme king. And ultimately, that's exactly what we're going to see. You remember Psalm uh, uh, Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 5 through 11. Now, verse 5 uh, is born out of verses 1 through 4, where, where Paul is exhorting the church to love each other and to have the same mind toward one another and uh, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. And then verse 5, he turns it, and, and there's this Christological hymn, this hymn to Christ 
in verses 5 through 11. He says, um, let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took the form of a servant's came, servant, and came in the likeness of a man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, that hymn of praise to Christ is like this hymn of praise to a king. It is a declaration that Jesus has come to pave the way for us to experience life in all of its beauty and majesty and wholeness without any missing parts. Where Christ reigns, we find wholeness of life. So tonight, let's take some time in Psalm 72 and let's look to Christ who reigns. We're going to have three points, then we're going to have an action step at the end. All right, so uh, let's look at this coronation psalm as it paints a picture of Jesus today. Um, First, we see that Jesus the King gives justice. Look at verses 1 through 4. Give the king your judgments, O God. Now, here's verse verse 1. It says, God, we're asking you to give the king your justice, your judgments, and your righteousness to the king's son. He will judge your people with righteousness, your poor with justice. The mountains will bring peace, shalom, to the people, and the little hills, righteousness. He will bring justice to the poor of the people. He will save the children of the needy. He will break in pieces the oppressor. All right, let's just hit this for a second. Uh, Because Jesus is the perfect king from God for us, let me tell you what Jesus does. Jesus judges everything perfectly. Verses 1 through 4 talks about how that God has given him judgment and justice so that he might judge between the right and the wrong, so that he might look upon those who are needy and oppressed and give them help to judge in their favor. Look, there is verse 4, something very powerful. Verse 4 says that he's going to help the needy and the oppressed, and he's going to crush the oppressor. Which side of that equation do you want to be on? Today, let's, let's understand that Jesus is the king And when he reigns, he reigns with justice. It means that he judges everything perfectly. He judges the right and the wrong of everything perfectly. And when Jesus judges, his judgment is always perfect. Even when it comes to you and me. See, here's here's the thing about the judgment of Christ the King. He's judging you. He's judging your heart, he's judging your mind, he's judging your words, he's judging your motives, he's judging your actions, he's judging me. He's judging my words and my heart, my mind, my motives and my actions. Jesus is judging. He is the judge. And we're all going to stand before him at the end of time, before the throne of Christ, and we're going to give an answer for the things we've done in the body, whether good or bad. We should live in the sense of the terror of the Lord. That's 2 Corinthians 5. We need to have that sense of 
terror that, that I'm going to stand before Jesus the judge. In fact, because of the Spirit of God residing with us and because of the Word of God that speaks to us, we know that we are right now under judgment. And, and if we will hear him as he judges our words. Now, it, have, you ever, have you ever said something and immediately God said, you should not have said that? Have you, ever, have you ever been unkind to someone and immediately the Spirit of God convicts your heart and says, how can you be such a jerk? In that moment of conviction, that's Jesus judging us and we're under the microscope of his holiness. And our response must be repentance and confession. But there's also a group of people, and that's the oppressors here. They're the ones that refuse to turn uh, when Jesus judges them, and there will be a great judgment of them at the end of time. He's going to crush <laughs> uh, the oppressors. And Jesus brings perfect judgment. He lives, he rules, he gives justice to us. And this is a word for all of us today. It's a word for us to heed, to hear, and to alter the way we live based upon this. Jesus is judging us in holiness. He's, he's judging us in perfection. And when we live under him, his rule, and when we submit to his rule, we are committing ourselves when we um, move outside the realm of holiness or righteousness according to his judgment, revealed in his word supremely and brought to our hearts by the Holy Spirit, immediately we need to repent. Are you a person who is a quick repenter? And if, you, if you're not, I, I, I encourage you, you've got from now to eternity to figure out how to be one. Now, once we enter into eternity, that's going to be a glorious time, but there's going to be a white throne of judgment that we stand before and give an answer for the things that we've done in the body, whether good or bad. Let's do a good job of making it right this side of heaven. Now, another piece of verses 1 through 4 talks to us about how um, our actions toward others are important. There are the poor and the needy, the oppressed. And I know that uh, I get accused of being woke every now and then, whatever that means. I get accused of being woke every now and then. But the reality is that throughout Scripture, not, <laughs> not just in a couple of the prophets, but throughout Scripture, justice for the poor and the oppressed is always an important piece and it's a gospel issue. As one who's been, who was poor and oppressed, who was separated from God by sin, I need to have a God-sized concern for those who are oppressed because this psalm teaches us that Jesus has uh, that kind of concern. So we need to be diligent to make sure that we look to the poor and the oppressed, the needy among us. And yes, make no mistake, the oppressed here everyone agrees, at least they did before woke became a thing, everyone agrees that that includes economic difficulties. So instead of taking advantage of those who are economically oppressed, we look for ways to bring uh, right judgment and justice and action toward them. I'm not making a political statement. I'm simply revealing what the Word of God says. And you can call me woke if you want. I'm not, but you can call me that. Uh, so, as we look at Jesus Christ reigning over our lives, we need to understand that Jesus gives justice and brings 
perfect judgment. Second thing is that Jesus Christ brings life. Life! Man, I, 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 can't, I can't begin to describe how wonderful it is to hear these words from God's Word. Uh, look at verses 5 and following. It says, uh, They shall fear you as long as the sun and the moon endure throughout all generations. Uh, he shall come down like rain upon the grass before the mowing, like showers that water the earth. In his days the righteous shall flourish and abundance of shalom until the moon is no more. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. Those who dwell in the wilderness, uh, those who dwell in the wilderness uh, will bow before him and his enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of the isles will bring presents and the kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Yes, all kings shall fall down before him and all nations shall serve him. As the rain gives life to the soil, Christ's rain gives life to us. Uh, that's the picture. Verse, verses 5 through 11, verse 6 says that just like the rain gives life to a barren land, Jesus and his rain give life to us. Uh, that's the picture of shalom that we saw in verse uh, 3 and 4 and again. Uh, in this section, we see shalom being the wholeness of life, life without any missing pieces. It's, it's a life that is filled with abundance, uh, not necessarily prosperity, but certainly, certainly abundance, uh, abundance of joy, abundance of, of contentment, abundance of, of, of sustenance and substance. We, we want that kind of life, and, and Jesus is the one who gives us that life, and because in him, John 1, 4, and 5, in him was life, and that life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness couldn't overcome it. That's who Jesus is. He is life. In Colossians 3, it says that, that uh, we need to set our minds on things above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. Uh, and verse, uh, verse 4 says, when, when, or verse 3 says, and when Christ, who is our life, appears... We shall also appear with him in glory. Jesus is our life. Hey, here's where we get crossways with, uh, with contentment and purpose. We start looking at other things as the source of life for us, whether it's our job or our finances, whether it's um, a relationship with uh, a boy or a girl or even a husband or a wife. We, we look at other things and we give them the prominent place. You are my life giver. Guys, there's only one life giver, and that is Jesus Christ. And he has given you life through his presence. He's poured the spirit of life dwelling within you. He brings you into the family that nourishes and nurtures that life called the church, the family of God. But Jesus is the source of life. So we turn to him and we yield to him and we trust in him. Because Jesus gives life, we must serve him as the life giver. Uh, in this passage, we see this picture of of service and worship. It, 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 it says, verse 9, those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before him. Verse 10, kings of Tarshish and the isles will bring presents. Kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. All the kings shall fall down before him. All the nations shall serve him. Uh, the picture here is because Jesus is the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the life giver, all creation will eventually 
serve him and worship him. But we're followers of Jesus on this side of that, that end time, eternity, and reality. And so our job as followers of Christ is to make sure that we serve with a whole heart the one who has given us life. To set our hands to what is important to him, to set our hearts on things that he's passionate about. We need to serve and worship him. What does your Sunday look like? You know, we, we've set aside Sunday uh, primarily as the day of corporate worship where we gather together as the people of God to worship the living God, the life giver. What kind of priority is that for you? Now, I'm not looking for excuses or reasons. I'm not even trying to confront you. I'm just asking the question. Is worshiping the life giver really important to you? It must be if you're a follower of Jesus. It has to be. He's the one who gives you life. And we are called to worship him. You might say, well, I don't need Sunday morning to worship. Well, you do for the worship gathering of God's people. That's the way God designed it. There is this corporate setting that we're supposed to get together with family and worship together the living God, right? So you do need that. And if you say you don't need that, then I would just suggest that you're not being faithful in following Jesus. But you are right on the other side. You you have every other day to worship Jesus. And in fact, I would contend that how we worship Jesus Monday through Saturday is really what informs what we do on Sunday. Instead of giving us an excuse away from Sunday, we, we have been worshiping Jesus at his feet, bowing before him, serving him Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, so that when Sunday comes along, I can't wait to get into the presence of the people of God and worship the king. I think perhaps maybe sometimes our, our lack of worship on Sunday is because we just don't worship him at all Monday through Saturday. We give him maybe a, a minute here or a minute there, but that's not, that's not worship. That's not service. That's not the Romans 12, 1, I'm a living sacrifice kind of worship. Again, I don't say this to confront you or to make you feel bad. I'm just I'm trying to help you understand that if we really believe that Jesus is the one who gives us life, we're going to give him more than just a pittance. We're going to worship him and serve him. That's the perspective of the psalmist here. It's the perspective of all of God's word. It must be our perspective as well. Are you worshiping him? So, uh, because he is the life giver, we serve him. Uh, because he is the king, we bow before him. So as we look at this passage, Christ brings justice. Christ gives life. And in his reign, the third thing, Christ delivers help. Uh, again, uh, just like verses 1 through 4, verses 1 through 4, uh, they're known, uh, they're imperatives there. And these are covenantal imperatives. These are the imperatives of the covenant that, that the king must fulfill. And we come back to them again in verses 12 through 14. So these are the commitments that Jesus the king is making to us. He did it in verse 1 through 4. He does it again in verses 12 
and following, 12 through 14, we hear these covenantal commitments that Jesus makes. And and it's all about the help that he offers. Look at verses 12, 13, and 14. Uh, He will deliver the needy when the needy cries, the poor and him who has no helper. He will spare the poor and the needy. He will save the souls of the needy. He will redeem their life from oppression and violence, and precious shall be their blood in his sight. Jesus delivers help. And just to suffice and, 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 and kind of wrap this up a little bit, when we are at the end of our rope, Jesus delivers. When we are helpless, Jesus secures us. When we are attacked, he protects us. Whatever the circumstance, whatever the need, Jesus is the answer. Now, I believe that with all my heart. We worship, we bow down, we serve, we, we celebrate Jesus the King because of who he is. But because of who he is, he helps us when we're in need. Are you looking to Jesus to give you the help that you need in the days of difficulty and, and disaster? Um, Christ brings justice. Christ brings life. Christ delivers help. So what is it that we must do in light of who Jesus is? We've talked about this already, but I want us to uh, not miss it. In verses 15 through 17, we hear this uh, call to praise. It's a call, an action to worship the King. We're called to worship Christ the King. Now look at verse 15, and we're going to Uh, Go all the way to verse 17. He shall live, and the gold of Sheba will be given to him. Prayer will be made for him continually, and daily he shall be praised. There'll be an abundance of grain in the earth on top of the mountains. Its fruit shall wave like Lebanon, and those of the city shall flourish like the grass of the earth. His name shall endure forever. His name shall continue as long as the sun. And men shall be blessed in him. All the nations shall call him blessed. What's that talking about? Well, uh, other than verse 16 where he talks about how, again, Jesus the King will bless us. Every other verse is talking about how we praise Jesus, how we worship him. You and I are called to worship the one who has blessed us, to bless the one who has blessed us. Are you worshiping Jesus the King? Are you singing his praise forever and ever and ever? Are you, are you praying to him uh, consistently? Are you, are you uh, celebrating his name among friend and foe alike? Are you worshiping him? When people think of you, whatever your name is, when people think of you, are they thinking of Jesus? That's a great test to see how we are worshiping him at work, at home, and at, at school Uh, It's not just gathering in a building of four walls that we call the church. That's that's part of worship, but that's not the essence of worship. The essence of worship is where you and I, temples of the Holy Spirit, give ourselves wholeheartedly to Him, to praise Him, to honor Him, to celebrate Him, the life giver, the one who has blessed us. We exist to bless Him. Are you worshiping Christ the King? 
I wonder how many uh, people we could interview in our own personal lives and they would say, Jesus is the most important thing to Eric Thomas. I know that uh, uh, for many people think the uh, Nora or Edie or the girls or the sons-in-law family. That's important, Eric. Yes, it is. Or maybe fishing. Um, you, you know, oh, fishing's important, Eric. Yes, yes, it is. Or maybe desserts. You think, oh, desserts are important, Eric. Yeah, they are. But when you think of my name, do you think the most important thing in Eric's life is Jesus Christ? I hope so. Um, but it's a great question that I'm thinking about right now. Am I living my life in worship to Jesus in such a way that you think, that dude is a fanatic about Jesus? May that be true for all of us as we worship Christ the King. He's the living King. He's our great high priest. He's the giver of all good things. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he deserves nothing less than full-throated, full-throttle worship. Now, verse, uh, verse uh, uh, 19, 18 through 20, that's the kind of a conclusion, uh, not just to Psalm 72, but the conclusion of uh, the second book of the Psalms. I just want to read it as we close out. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he bless your coming in. May he bless your going out. May he fill your life with peace. God bless you all. Good night.